All right, listen, so here's the deal. Uh, Whenever I come on this stage, I'm used to hiding behind this microphone, okay? And now they've told me to talk, and I have this little thing, so I'm not exactly sure what to do about that, okay? So I need your help, since I'm used to singing with you guys, uh, to get me comfortable on the stage, okay? So I'm going to start singing a little song, and I think you guys are going to know it, so join in with me, okay? Na, 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 hate you. That's it, one more time. Na, 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 hate you. Very nice. Thank you. That That helps me. That helps me. I'm not quite there yet. What if I do this? Yeah, buddy, you guys know that one. Oh, yes, my man. All right, here we go. Buddy, you're a boy making big noise, playing in the street, gonna be a big man someday. You got mud on your face, your big disgrace, kicking your can all over the place, singing we will, we will rock you. Come on, one more time. Singing, we will, we will rock you. Yes, yes. Thank you, bro. That was awesome. (laughs) He did not do that in last service, so I did not expect that to happen. (laughs) Uh, Thank you. Thank you for getting me warmed up a little bit. That really does help. Um, And I'm honored and I'm privileged to be able to speak to you today. Uh, Ever since moving back to Wasion, Anna and I have just felt so loved by all of you. You've just shown shown us so much support, and uh, it was a big life decision to move our lives here, but we haven't regretted it for a minute, and a lot of that is because of the church body that we have here at Crossroads, so thank you. Now today, as uh, you heard, we're talking about worship, and uh, worship is a huge subject. It's one of the biggest in the Bible that's even talked about. But worship is a lot to talk about, and so I'm only going to focus on one specific part of worship today, which is singing corporately through music. And music is powerful. It has meaning. You just saw that. All I had to do was this. And everybody in the room was unified. Everybody knew where we were going. And so music is a gift that God has given us. It's a gift that he actually created so that we could do this, so that we could use it to elevate him. And so I'm excited this morning to talk about how we can use music, how we can utilize it to elevate and praise his name. So if you would, if you have your Bibles with me, open up your Bibles to John 4. This is where we're going to focus today. John 4, uh, you're probably familiar with it, is a story of Jesus and a Samaritan woman that were at a well together. Now, they were both at the well because they were thirsty. They had needed water. And Jesus recognized that this woman was thirsty. He knew that. But he also, he's all-knowing, so he knew that this woman had a spiritual thirst as well. And so he explains to this woman, you are drinking this water, and and it will help your physical thirst, but you need more than that. You need something to quench your spiritual thirst. And that's through the living water, which can only be found in me. 
And the Samaritan woman is a little thrown off by it. She doesn't really even know what Jesus is talking about. So he asks her, asks him to explain. And he says here in uh, 13 through 18, it says, Jesus answered, Everyone who drinks this water will be thirsty again, referring to the, the actual physical water. But whoever drinks the water I give them will never thirst. Indeed, the water I give them will become in them a spring of water welling up to eternal life. The woman said, Sir, give me this water so that I won't be thirsty and have to keep coming here to draw water. He told her, Go call your husband and tell him to come back. I have no husband, she replied. Jesus said to her, You are right when you say you have no husband. The fact is, you've actually had five husbands, and the man you now have is not your husband. What you have said is quite true. Uh, so first of all, I see here that this lady is straight up called out by Jesus. <laughs> and her heart had to be pounding at that moment. But notice that as a human, you have a thirst for worship. You were created to worship. Me and you both, we were created to worship. Isaiah 43, 20 through 21 backs this up by saying, I provide water in the desert and streams in the wasteland to give drink to my people, my chosen, the people I formed for myself, that they may proclaim my praise. So our sole purpose on this earth is to glorify God. The reason literally that we're made is to worship him. We see in this passage that the Samaritan woman looked to fulfill her spiritual thirst through her romantic relationships. And there's a lot of different things that sometimes we try to fulfill that spiritual thirst Actually, part of Addie's testimony was that. She tried fulfilling her peace in her life through things like sports. And I can relate to that. Sometimes I try to fulfill peace through things like vacations or the hobbies, sports, golf, things, things that I enjoy to do, and it's just not fulfilling. For Pete's sake, when I was, when I was a kid, I absolutely worshipped the Indianapolis Colts. The football team? Yeah. Do we have any Colts fans out here, please? There's one shy one over there. Okay. Yeah, there's a reason to be shy. I know. Um, but <coughs> I just worshipped the Colts. It was what I lived for. It's all I wanted was for them to win a Super Bowl. And finally, when I was 11, they actually did. They won the Super Bowl, and it fulfilled all my dreams, right? Yeah, for like a day and a half. <laughs> and then the only thing I could think about later that week was, man... I sure hope the Colts can win the Super Bowl again next year. <laughs> so it just doesn't fulfill. And a lot of the things that we look for in life don't fulfill us. And that's kind of a child exam example, I know. But the point is that you're created to worship. So you're going to worship something. You're going to worship something. And when it's not Jesus, it's only temporary satisfaction. It's only going to lead to disappointment. Our eternal happiness and joy come only from worshiping our Creator. It's how we're wired, and it's a part of us. It's in our DNA. So, we're created to worship. We know that. Let's keep moving on in our passage, starting with verse 19. It says, Sir, the woman said, I can see that you are a prophet. Our fathers worshiped on this mountain, but you Jews claim that the place where we worship must be in Jerusalem. 
Jesus declared, Believe me, woman, a time is coming when you will worship the Father neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem. You Samaritans worship what you do not know. We worship what we do know, for salvation is from the Jews. So we see here that there's an issue that the woman addresses about preferences in worship, of where we should worship. And I'm going to touch on that later in the, in the message. But for now, I want us to focus on the point that you were made to worship corporately. We were all made to worship corporately. And I define corporate worship as a call for believers in Christ to gather on a regular basis for the purpose of praising God. I read a book called Corporate Worship by a guy named Matt Merker. And he compares the idea of corporate worship to a family dinner. Now, family dinners are all unique, right? Everybody has the same purpose in mind. We're, we're there to eat. We're there to be fed. But every family dinner looks a little bit different, doesn't it? So in my family growing up, there was four of us kids, and so we had to fight for our food. If you're in a big family, you know what I'm talking about. My mom would make this elaborate, beautiful spread of all this food, and she'd lay it out on the, all on the table for us, and it was just gorgeous. And then my dad would pray for us before we ate a meal. And then as soon as he said amen, we would just grab whatever we can, whatever we can find in front of us. I need that food, because if I don't eat it, someone else is gonna. <laughs> and that was just a part of, our, our, part of our dinner. We didn't even realize that that was weird until my brother Luke brought his wife, Lindsay, into the family. And eventually, when she got enough boldness, she called us out for it. She's like, listen, you guys are insane at the dinner table. You gotta stop. Like, there's no manners. No one passes a thing. You don't even ask, ask people, please. There's no, no manners. You guys are, you eat like pigs. <laughs> and we were like, yeah, whatever, Lindsay. You're, you, don't, you don't know what you're talking about. Your family's weird. Ours is normal. And we all thought that. We really did until uh, every other in-law that came into the family agreed with Lindsay. So... But that was just a part of what made our family dinner unique. Corporate worship is similar in that way, that each church body has the same goal in mind, to worship and to praise God. But it can look a little bit different, and that's great, and that's okay. There's nothing wrong with that. Now, you can eat dinner by yourself. Actually, you should eat dinner by yourself some. It, it can be good for you. It's relaxing. There's no noise, right? And we can eat the same food, we can do the same things, sit in the same place. You can even have less dishes. <laughs> but if you're eating by yourself, you're not going to have the same experience of being unified with those around you. It may satisfy your belly, but it doesn't bind you with the people that you love most. And worshiping God corporately is the same way. It's great to worship on our own, it really is, and it should be an essential part of our daily routine. But when we come together, it unifies us as a church body together. Now let's keep reading out of John 4. After Jesus talks about corporate worship, he gives the woman a really practical look about some things that we should be doing in our worship. So verse 23 says, Yet a time is coming and has now come when the true worshipers will worship the Father in the Spirit and in truth. For they are the kind of worshipers the Father seeks. God is spirit, and his worshipers must worship in the, in the spirit and in truth. 
So we see two crucial commands here that we need to do when we worship, to worship in spirit and to worship in truth. And I'm going to talk about truth first, and then I'll come back to spirit. But true worshipers worship in truth. At Crossroads, we have a team of people on staff that make sure that we are worshiping in truth. So if I or somebody else on the team comes and has been praying about a song that we'd like to introduce to the congregation, we bring it to this team of people who analyze it. We tear it apart, actually. (laughs) We look at every possible thing that we could find from this song that wouldn't allow people to worship God. And so there's a few few key things that we look at. One being, is the song biblical? And is it rooted in Scripture? And this is probably the most, it is the most important thing that we look for, because if, if we're not singing truth, there's no point. Second, we look at singability. Is this song a song that people can latch on to, that they can sing easily? Because if it's hard to sing, it's probably going to take you away from the presence of God. And then third, we, we look at the actual music of the song. Is the song's music something that people are going to be excited to sing? Is it something that people are going to enjoy? But also, is the music something that backs up the lyrics that we're saying? So as the lyrics build, does the song and the music build with that? And if all of those things come together and everybody in an, is in agreement that this song is indeed a song of truth, then we introduce it and we sing it corporately together. Now, singing true songs is a part of worshiping in truth, but that's not all of it. If we look in Revelation, uh, there are so many examples of what worship looks like in heaven. We just sang that. This is what heaven looks like. This is what freedom feels like. And in Revelation 11, 15, it says, Then the seventh angel blew his trumpet, and there were loud voices shouting in heaven. The world has now become the kingdom of our Lord and of his Christ, and he will reign forever and ever. So we see that worship in heaven is loud, right? There's a lot to celebrate. There's a lot we should be pumped about. Imagine going to an Ohio State-Michigan football game. Someone gives you free tickets, okay? How excited would you be? Michigan's ranked number two. Ohio State's number three. Purdue's number one, obviously. Um, but it's, it's the biggest game of the year. College game day's there. Everybody's so pumped. You get to pregame. You're playing cornhole. You beat this guy. It's awesome. You're, you're just having the best time of your life. And then you go into the stadium for kickoff. Guy kicks the ball, and it's silent. How weird would that be? It'd be strange, wouldn't it? It would take all of the joy that you had, all the excitement that you had for this game right away. It wouldn't really even be something worth going to, would it? And as weird as that sounds, it's even more weird when we come into corporate worship with that same attitude. Because when we do this together corporately, we're worshiping a God who literally saved us from hell. We should burn in hell for eternity, every single one of us. And he saved us from that. Not only that, but he's taking us with him in eternity in heaven. And that is something worth more of our loud praise than anything. And I don't want to go to a quiet football game, 
but I really don't want to go to a quiet time of worship. Take uh, David, for example. David, who wrote a lot of the Psalms, I like to call him the goat of worshipers. Uh, yeah, you guys get that. The other services didn't as much. <laughs> Especially 8.30. They were like, actually, I didn't even say it because I knew they wouldn't get it in 8.30. Um, but he, he just worshiped all the time. It was a part of who he was. And all these psalms that he wrote were songs. They were songs of worship. And in Psalm 150, we don't know for sure that David wrote this one, but I can at least assume that he would agree with it. It says, praise him with the sounding of the trumpet. Praise him with the harp and the lyre. Praise him with the tambourine and dancing. Praise him with the strings and flute. Praise him with the clash of cymbals. Praise him with resounding cymbals. Let everything that has breath praise the Lord. So we see that instruments are used in worship, in scripture and in heaven. Now if David lived in our current world today, you'd have a hard time convincing me that he wouldn't use all of this stuff. He wouldn't use every single instrument that he could get his hands on to elevate God's name. And that he wouldn't use lights. He wouldn't use guitars and drums and haze and all this stuff. See, we don't use this stuff to put on a concert or put on a show or even to get people excited about coming in here. We do it because we're using the gifts and the things that God has blessed us with to elevate his name, just as they do in Scripture. Now, on this earth, we're never going to fully experience the worship that we see in Revelation because we're on earth. This is a sinful place. It's never going to be quite like that. But I do believe that we can get a small glimpse of it. My desire for this church is to do everything that we possibly can to align our worship with the worship that we see in Revelation, in heaven, and the worship that we see in Scripture. So, how else do we worship in truth? Let's look to Psalm 33 for that. It says, Sing joyfully to the Lord, you righteous. It is fitting for the upright to praise him. Praise the Lord with the harp. Make music to him on the ten-string lyre. Sing him a new song. Play skillfully and shout for joy. So, first we see that we can sing a new song. That's actually biblical. That's pretty cool. I like new songs. And worship, we also see here, is joyful. It should be an exciting and a fun expression. Last weekend, if you were here, we talked about this, but it was just such an amazing time of worship. The Spirit was so evident in this place. It was exciting, wasn't it? It was fun to be here. We didn't want to leave. We wanted to just keep singing praises. We didn't leave, actually. We kept singing praises to God. It was amazing. We were sitting in the presence of God together. It was fun, and it was bigger than us. Now, there's some very practical things that we can do to show our excitement and to so show our joy for the Lord. And one of those is singing. Now, I know that seems really obvious, right? Like, yeah, we're here to sing. Like, the lyrics are on the screen. But it needs to be said. We need to sing. It's important, and it's biblical and I know a lot of you are probably uncomfortable with singing with people around you. A lot of you are 
bad at singing. <laughs> and that's okay. Mo honestly, most people are bad at singing. But it's okay. It's okay to feel that way, and it's okay to feel uncomfortable. But it's not okay to let that prevent you from singing. A great example of this is Nate Hamlin. You guys know Nate? Yeah. Nate was a pastor here uh, 10 or so years ago, probably more. Um, but he, he's a big dude, and he's got a real big voice. But that voice was not made for singing, I'll tell you that. He's, he's terrible at singing. He's really bad. Um, and actually, I reached out to Nate and asked him if I could if I could share this, and he told me a story of when he was here, and he said that you, Dad, would sit next to him, and he said that he would know that Nate was going to follow whatever he heard, and so my dad would just start singing higher and higher and higher and higher, and he just, <laughs> and he just hear Nate just go for it and go with him as loud as he can, and that's hilarious, but honestly, it's amazing. To, to me, that's more powerful than hearing the best singer in the world sing out. Because when Nate sings, he's not concerned about what other people are thinking about him. He knows he's bad, but he chooses to sing anyways, and he chooses to glorify God, and he's not concerned what anybody else thinks about it. He feels no shame in giving God the best that he can, and he puts his own insecurities aside so that, he, so that God is glorified. And along with singing, we can show our joy in worship through our physical expression by engaging our bodies. Your body should tell the truth that your soul is feeling. So your outward expression should reflect your inward emotion. So raising your hands, clapping, moving, doing all that stuff is just as much an as an expression of worship as it is when we sing. God has gifted us with the ability to move our bodies, with the ability to raise our hands, and we need to use that. When we raise our hands, it's a sign of surrender. You're showing that, God, I'm not worthy of you. I don't even deserve to be in your presence right now. But I'm lifting you up. I'm praising you so that I can give myself over to you. So, I could talk about worshiping in truth all day, but I can't. So I'm going to start talking about worshiping truth, which is the other command that we find in John 4. True worshipers worship in spirit. In Ephesians 5, 18 through 20, it says, Instead, be filled with the Spirit, speaking in one another with psalms, hymns, and songs from the Spirit. Sing and make a music to your, from your heart to the Lord, always giving thanks to God the Father for everything in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Hmm. So we can do all the stuff that I've talked about so far. We can sing loud. We can raise our hands. We can be expressive physically. But if we're doing all of that stuff without being centered on the Spirit, there's no point to it. See, we often get caught up in the how of worship. How do we sing these songs? How do we do this? What songs are we going to choose? That kind of stuff. But we have to be focused on the who that we're worshiping. 
C.S. Lewis once said it this way, the perfect church service would be one we were almost unaware of. Our attention would have been on God. So we should be so consumed by who God is, we almost forget we're even here. We almost forget anything in our life. We're just so focused on who God is. So how do we get there? Well, worship is a lifestyle. It's not just an hour on Sunday morning. I read a book called Worship Matters by a guy named Bob Coughlin. He said, getting to know God is time-consuming. We live in the age of instant everything. We want a life-changing devotional in 15 minutes max. And why shouldn't God fit in the time slot we've allotted him? After all, he's God. He knows how packed our schedule is. <laughs> and it's funny, but it's true, isn't it? We've been trained to expect instant gratification in everything. But we know that our relationships don't work that way. The people closest to you in your life are the people that you've spent time with, the people that you've invested in. And our relationship with Jesus is the same way. We have to spend time with him daily through the week. See, we can't expect to come here on Sunday mornings and have this incredible worship experience if we're not relying on God throughout the week. Our worship is daily. In John 15, it talks about the analogy of the vine and the branches to describe the importance of remaining in Jesus daily. See, we can't just go to the vine once a week and expect there to be fruit. There has to be pruning. There has to be daily training to get to that point so that when we do come together, when we do corporately celebrate, there's fruit for everybody. Now, we also worship in spirit through surrender. In order to focus on the spirit of worship, we can't be focused on ourselves. And that's where surrender comes in. Because it's really hard to think about God when you're thinking about the fight you had with your spouse on the way to church or what you're going to eat for lunch today, who's going to win the game this week. When we're thinking about all that stuff, it means we're not focused on the Spirit. We're focused inward on ourselves. That's why true worship must come from a heart of surrender, because we have to pour ourselves out first in order to receive the love that God so desperately wants to give us. So in review, through John 4, we're all created to worship. It's a part of who we are. We're created to worship corporately together as a body of Christ, and we're called to do that. And then we see that true worshipers worship in spirit, and true worshipers worship in truth. So I'm going to give us just some real practical ways of how we can live out what we see in John 4 in our everyday lives. So the first one is to stay connected to the vine. Make a worship a part of your life. Block out time to just sit and do nothing but be in awe of the presence of who God is. Go on a walk. Isolate yourself. Do something that you enjoy. Whatever you do, don't overcomplicate it. I know a lot of times in my quiet times, I can look and I expect these big aha moments that Jesus is going to give to me. These revelations that will solve my life problems. 
And sometimes that happens, but that should not be our expectation. Our goal when we worship is to simply admire him and enjoy the peace that only he can provide. So when you sit in his presence, you don't have to say anything. You don't have to do anything. Just enjoy that you have the spirit with you that you can dwell in. So that's number one, stay connected to the vine. Number two, lose your preferences. I said I was going to come back to this at the beginning, but going back to verse 20 of our John 4 passage, it says, Our fathers worshipped on this mountain, but you Jews claim that the place where we worship is in Jerusalem. So what's the right thing? And it's funny, Jesus doesn't even acknowledge her question, because it doesn't matter. That's why I gave you the Spirit, so that you don't have to worship on this mountain. You can worship wherever you're at. Hmm. Philippians 2, 4 says, Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. So everybody has preferences. Everybody likes to sing a song a certain way, or doesn't like how we do it this way, and, and I get that. But we have to get over our preferences, because our unity does not come from our musical preferences. It comes from the gospel. And that what, that's what makes us the church. So, a lot of you love singing hymns. We sang a bunch of hymns last weekend. It was powerful. It was amazing. Hymns are rich. They're, they have a deep theology. And it connects us with generations. But hymns were written a long time ago. And our English language looked a lot different then. And so some hymns can be kind of hard to understand. And for people who grew up in church, you pretty much know what it's talking about, but if you imagine the person that comes into this church for the first time ever, and we sing all hymns, they're, they're going to have a hard time following what we're even singing about. And contemporary music it has pros and cons too. It's awesome. It has great melodies. It's relevant to culture. It can be easier to understand. But a lot of contemporary music is very inward focused, like I just talked about that we shouldn't do. It's very focused on what can I get from God? What, what can he do for me? Rather than, God, I give myself to you. Do what you will. So my point is, we all have preferences, and we need to get over them. We can't expect... Um, our music, musical preferences to fulfill who God is. In that book I read, Bob Coughlin says it this way. He says, musical diversity reflects the varying aspects of God's nature. He is transcendent and imminent. He splits mountains and clothes lilies. We worship him as our creator and our redeemer, our king and father. How can anyone think that a single kind of music could adequately express the fullness of God's glory? Hmm. See, when we're unified in spirit and truth, it's not because of our preferences or our personality or our age or our gender. Because the one thing that bonds us together is that we can submit and exalt ourselves to the name of Jesus together. So that's number two, very practical. 
Forget your preferences. Number three is express yourself in worship physically. Now, I talked about this already a little bit, but you were created in God's image to glorify him. Again, so you, he literally made you with these limbs, these arms and these legs to use them, to glorify him. He, he gave you your voice to glorify him. So use it. Push yourself outside of your comfort zone. Because when you do, when you forget about what I feel and you submit yourself to Jesus, you get more of him and you get less of yourself. And lastly, the last practical uh, point I want to give you is that we need to prepare, prepare for worship through prayer. We need to do this before we ever even step foot into this building. Because church, one thing I know for sure is that Satan loves to attack us as believers on Sunday mornings specifically. If you have kids, you know what I'm talking about. And we have to fight against that with prayer. Our prayer is our weapon. So when you wake up in the morning, the first thing that you should do any day, but really on Sunday mornings, is you need to pray. You need to pray, allow the Spirit to enter into your body. And then when your kids wake up, pray with them, first thing. On your way to church, pray together as a family. Allow the Spirit to move in you and your family before you come so that you can experience the Spirit of Christ when you come together to worship Him corporately. I'm going to end with a story of one of the most raw and authentic times of worship that I've ever been a part of. Um, when I was a worship leader in Columbus, I led worship one time at this youth group night. And after the set, there was a kid about 15 years old. He came up to me. He said, hey, I got a song request I'd love to do in church sometime. And I get those a lot, so I was like, yeah, sure. What's up? He said, do you know the song I can only imagine? And I was a little thrown off. I was like, yeah, uh, yeah, like the song that was written like 20 years ago? Like you weren't even born yet. And he was like, yeah, that's my favorite song. I love that song. I listen to it every day. I asked his parents, and they were like, yeah, he literally listens to it every day. He's not joking. And so I didn't think much about it. I kind of put it in my back pocket to think about it. And then a couple of weeks later, AJ started having these really severe headaches. And so his parents took him into the hospital just as a precaution. And the doctors found a spot on his brain, actually, that needed to be removed. And so they did that through surgery. But after the surgery, AJ woke up brain dead. And, and so this, this incredible 15-year-old boy who was living his life for Jesus just a week ago had now passed away at the age of 15. And his parents asked me if I could lead worship at their funeral, his funeral. And they said, we know that the, the one thing that AJ would want is to sing, I Can Only Imagine. And if you don't know the song, it's a song just talks about us finally getting to heaven and experiencing what it's going to be like to worship in heaven. I'm going to read some of the lyrics. It says, surrounded by your glory, what will my heart feel? Will I dance for you, Jesus? Or will I be so in awe of you that I'll just be still? 
Will I stand in your presence, or to my knees will I fall? Will I sing hallelujah? Will I be able to speak at all? I can only imagine. And as I was singing this song at his funeral, I looked out to the congregation, just full of people that were supporting him. People were crying, people were weeping out loud. And everybody was sitting down, and I looked to the front row, and I saw AJ's dad stand up, arms raised wide, in full surrender to Jesus. And in the most difficult pain of his life, he made the choice to surrender himself to Jesus. He realized it wasn't about him. It was about praising the God who deserved it. So if we do what we're designed to do, which is worship in spirit and in truth, it lifts us above that trouble and that pain that we feel in this world. It elevates us to something higher than our pain. And that's what we get to celebrate through worship. Now I'm going to pray, and then we're going to respond, and we're going to worship together. And we're going we're to practice this. We're going to practice giving ourselves over to him so that we can fully experience who he is. So God, we thank you. We thank you so much for the gift of worship. God, we don't even deserve to be in your presence. And yet you allow us in and you give us a gift that we call music. And you've gifted us with the ability to sing, for us to raise our hands and surrender to you. And you've done this all so that we may glorify your name and ultimately that, that your name will be lifted above any other because there's no one like you, God. And there's no one we would rather be lifting our praises to. So in this time today, we magnify you, we exalt you, and we just lift you up. You deserve the glory, and we give that to you now. Amen.